0: This is the Austin Life Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. What's for dinner, everybody? Why did everybody laugh at that? That Is that a thing? Oh, I'm good. But, why did some... Okay, anyway, it was a bad inside joke anyway. I had to start with it. Um, Well, hey, if you don't know me yet, uh, my name is Stephen McCaslin. I'm the family minister here at Austin Life Church, uh, and I, I meant to do this last week. I was leading worship college students. I know there's, I think there's some sprinkled over here. There's a lot of y'all. Welcome back. Welcome to Austin. Is everyone, how many people over here are college students? Can you raise your hand? We've got like literally this half the room. If you're over here and you're not in college, then I guess you're in the cool kids section and this is the old person section hanging out over here. Any college students? i our single one. Wait, the three of y'all are. Hey, what's up? Hey, I made it in. Cool. Oh, and back here, we got it. We're sprinkled. There's some sprinklings over here. That was cool. Hey, we're glad you're back in Austin. Hope your summer with family or traveling or friends or whoever you were with was good, uh, refreshing, relaxing, and you're ready for the semester. Um, we're, we always love having you guys back in town. Uh, adds a little bit of liveness uh, to us o- old folks. Guys, we floated in a river yesterday in a tube. My back is killing me. And that's like the sign when you're old is like, I didn't lift anything. I wasn't working. I was just sitting weird in a tube. And I came to set up this morning and I was like, oh, this is not good at all. So I'm old, we're glad y'all are back. Um, if, like I said, I'm a family minister here. My training and my passion largely lies within like these folks here. There's, there's one where it is my students. I love middle school and high school students. I love hanging out with them. I love ministering to them. With that being said, I also minister anytime I preach, I, I, I kind of wrap it up in a student style. Um, so I said I'm old, I warned you of that. Uh, I have refused to download TikTok, I won't do it. But I watch Instagram Reels, so like two months after it's popular on TikTok, I see it on Instagram. Anybody else refuse to download it? The old people know, there? oh, there's some college students. Okay, that's what I'm talking about, not too old. Well, hey, I have to start out, and I need me to move to the side. I have to start out by showing y'all my favorite TikTok of all time. Now, when I, when I show videos, when I have illustrations or games or whatever, they always go with the sermon. But um, this has to be, it's my, definitely my favorite TikTok. Top five favorite videos. I didn't prepare this, but number one, hands down, best video of all time is when the little girl's standing there and she goes, Look at all those chickens. And then it's a Field of Geese favorite, best, best video that has ever been released of all time. Um, but anyway, I'm gonna, sh- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stop talking now. It's about a minute long. Bear with me, but I, I think, and you too might flag us. So if you're watching the live stream and it cuts off, sorry. Uh, but I, don't, I think we're fine. So go ahead and play that. You see my favorite, make sure. Yeah. You still love me, Lord. Even in my darkest moments. When I was in all the wrong with all the wrong people. When I didn't say thank you at the drive through. When I stole a DVD of Shrek 2. When I committed tax fraud and my brother went to prison, even though it was me. When I pushed that old lady down a hill for no reason. And I told my friend his dog went missing, but I ran it over. <laughs> you still love me that, that is comedy gold right there. I love that. And I think, I know I have caught myself when I lead worship and it's like, yeah, maybe I said something a little dumb there. Uh, Charlie's great. He never makes any mistakes. He's literally flawless, perfect. But I know I catch myself like this dude sometimes, right? And can I ask a question, honestly? Any, any well, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand. I'm gonna look for someone. Hey, I've, I've talked to Pete. You're semi-new, right? This is like your like third or fourth-ish week or something like that. I've been with kids a lot. Pete, if you were to walk in and Charlie was up here and he said those things, like it's like this like honest, like confession in the middle of worship, would you have, like, probably stuck around? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you! <laughs> I, I picked on the wrong person. Well, if I was looking for, like, a solid church, honestly, the worship leaders, like, when I committed tax fraud and my brother went to prison, even though, like, I'd be like, I don't know if this is where I want to hang out. Like, this is where I want to plug into. It's It's kind of weird, and I know I would never say those things, like, up on a stage. Like, and I, I would imagine no one else would either, right? Like maybe like the, oh, uh, stole a DVD or you know, stole your, your pack of gum from the convenience store, like whatever. But there's some parts in our life that when when, when, we, when we commit those like bad things, I hope no one has sent a family member to prison for something that was your fault. But whenever we sin or we do things, we I think a lot of times we kind of like retreat and hold back and we're not like this guy, right? And I would imagine that most of us in this room, other than Pete, if if someone started saying those things to you, you wouldn't be like, oh, this person's my friend. Like, I want to hang out with this guy after work or after church. Like, that's the person I want to make myself close with. Normally, we're like, all right, I'm going to kind of distance myself from the person. Person sounds a little crazy. And uh, the past uh, month or so, we've been going through a series of trusting God. And uh, whenever You know, I I told Corey, I was like, hey, you know, we were doing scheduling. Like, you're gonna be serving with kids. Um, I'd love to fill in and preach. He said, hey, well, like, preach on whatever, like, God has been showing you to trust in him with. And go to the end of the sermon at the front is trusting that God wants to be with you. I know that in here. Like, I know all the scriptures. Like, oh, you know, you, you know, You know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear evil. You know, you're rotten staff, you're coming for me, and you're with me. Like, I know those things, but I think practically when I live my life, I don't think I live it knowing that God wants to be with me always. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, in our community group a little while back, uh, we were reading through, uh, for whatever reason, I don't necessarily remember exactly why, we were reading through Exodus 19, and I don't remember who pointed this out when we were reading through it, but then as soon as this person pointed this fact out, it's it's all I can see when I read Exodus 19. So this isn't gonna be on the screen. If you wanna read along, I'm gonna do something we don't do um, in church a whole lot, uh, or at least I will say in, in uh, churches outside of the Catholic denomination. I love, man, the times I've gone to mass, they will like open their Bibles sometimes and read like seven chapters and then close it and walk off stage. I'm like, wow, y'all read more scripture than my church did in four months. That's amazing. So we're gonna read a relatively long chunk of scripture this morning. Uh, and, it's, and it's a story whenever um, Moses and the Israelites are wandering through the desert and they get to the mountain and it's right during, in the middle of the story, God is gonna give Moses the 10 commandments. So like, if you're familiar with church, or familiar with the Bible, that's where we are. We're gonna start off in Exodus 19, verse 2. And we're going to read all of 19 and then some of 20. So before we do that, as you're flipping there, um, I, I just want to pray um, before we get going. <sighs> Jesus, you, we sang to you just mere seconds ago that we want to be where you are. Um, and that, that's my prayer for myself right now. Um, God, as, as I'm here, just trying to share what you've laid on my heart, um, God, with your the truth of your scripture, God, that in this, like, I, I want you to be here with me while I'm doing this. God, I pray for every person here, every person at home or on the road listening to this, God, that in this moment, we can truly want to and recognize that you are here with us as we, we learn from your scripture. Um, God, I open up our hearts to you. Amen. All right, like I said, it's a relatively long chunk. Um, so um, bear with me. Um, follow along if you'd like. If not, uh, listen along. But in Exodus chapter 19 starting on verse 2 we have this And they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God the Lord called him out to uh, called to him out of the mountain saying Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came down and called the elders uh, of the people and set before them, and said before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountains or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death no hand shall touch him but he shall be stoned or shot with an arrow whether beast or man he shall not live when the trumpet sounds a long blast they shall come up to the mountain so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments and he said to the people be ready for the third day do not go near a woman I'll take a quick pause here because I don't want that to confuse this is about ritualistic cleanliness, not because there were anything wrong with women or that there's anything like bad about this here. I love talking about this. Our sermon will be like an hour and a half if we try to do that. So if you're like, hey, I am really curious, why did you say you can't touch a woman? I, or I know a handful of these people uh, in, the, in this room would love to walk you through that, walk through in the scriptures why Moses was saying that and what the purpose of that was. But I didn't want to just read over that and then not address it. So that's where we are. Um, seriously, I would, get my number. I'll call you later this week if you're too busy and you want to go eat lunch. I would love to chat. Uh, So moving forward, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the front of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through. And the Lord So Moses went down to the people and told them. Then verses one through 17, the Lord speaks with Moses and gives him the 10 commandments. But I I want us to pick back up on verse 18. This is after Moses has come back down. All this has happened and this is the people talking to Moses. Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. I, there's a lot, I, I guess I just skipped Exodus 19 before the Ten Commandments. But this story, right, just to give some context, it did a little bit at the beginning, is is God leading the Israelites out from slavery, which they were in for hundreds of years in Egypt. And then they're about a year into their journey in the wilderness, which should take about two weeks at most to travel this distance. They're still in the wilderness and then they get up to this mountain. And here we have them, a million or so, a million or so Israelites. I, like when I heard this story as a kid, I was like, oh, it was Moses and like 40 of his friends. It's a million estimated Israelites between the men, women, and children there. And we get this story happening. Now, I will say, God starts on Exodus 19, 2 through 6 with this like beautiful promise. It's awesome, right? And people are like, yeah, God will do it. And, and I feel like I can relate this to myself. In Romans 5, if you want to flip there, it'll, this will be up on the screen. Verses one through five, this is something in the New Testament that like when I hear God speaking to them, I can like mirror it to what God spoke to me. In Romans 5 verses one through five, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also obtain access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, whenever I read this Exodus 19, I feel like I can mirror to that. It's like these people have been in slavery for hundreds of years. Their great 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 grandparents were slaves. They've been in the wilderness and God is like, Hey, you're my people, and they're like, Yeah, that's right. All, all that other stuff, that suffering that produces endurance, endurance, faith, like, yeah, you're here. Like we're we're at the mountain, you're about to do something great. This is awesome. But then the story takes just a little bit of a turn after that. And verse twelve, God tells them to set limits and to not touch the mountain. And what what did they say would happen if they did? They would die, stoned or what? Shot. Shot. That's intense. God is like, hey, I'm gonna be up on this mountain, but don't let them get there. And if they do, shoot them. What? I, I I, I, I didn't notice these things. In verse 16, when God comes, it's thunder, lightning, and a thick, dark cloud. In verse 16, we see the people trembling, before God. In verse 18, it says that God showed up in what? Smoke and fire so that the whole mountain trembled. The whole mountain shook. And in verse 19, it says that God speaks. You say, hey guys, what's up? No. The thunder, power, the people are terrified. So the people of Israel got to meet with God, but it seems to me when I read this story that one or two people got to really be with God. Say one or two because it was Moses who had to go up to the mountain and then who else did God say could go up? Aaron. Okay, so we've got, we've got two people who get to like go up to the mountain like where the smoke and fire and God is. What about the other million people? They're just kind of like on the base of the mountain. Like they see everything happening but they're kind of just spread out kind of just there. So, when we read this, I think I've lived my whole life not knowing the story, but feeling the story. Right? I I kind of feel a little bit like the Israelites, to be honest, at times. And I know some of you may be thinking like, this pastor keeps saying the word feel a lot. That's a scary word to say when you're talking through scripture. But I, I just wanted to be honest about how I am with this. I feel like maybe, like maybe I'm just, don't fit into that one or two. Right? That like, because of what I've done, because I've got things, I, I, I'm not going to stand up on worship and sing about mistakes I've made. Probably not. Not as freely as that guy did. But I have stuff that I feel like would leave me in that group of a million. And there may be some people who fit up into the one or two. I I, I feel like it's not me, and I think I can relate, maybe it's sometimes more, if I'm honest with myself, how the people of Israel did in verses 18 through 21 of chapter 20, when they, uh, they tell Moses, you know, they saw everything, right? If they saw thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of a trumpet with no musicians around, right, and a mountain shaking, would you be scared, right? I would be, I'd be terrified and I feel like sometimes I see God as this perfect holy scary thing and I'm like hey like pastor share the scripture with me but God's kind of terrifying I don't know if I can just like boldly step through the thick cloud and trust that I'm not gonna get shot by arrows or stoned or fall dead on my way up because of the holiness of God and I think sometimes I just like in my day to day life right I think I don't welcome God or acknowledge him in being with me because I think of the things that I've done wrong and I'm like I feel like there's some sort of barrier between us and then if I can separate that barrier a little bit then I can feel more comfortable with coming to him but right now I just kind of feel like it'd be better if I stayed in my own zone over here and to not just preach like like uh, philosophical things like to make it super real like I'm a human, I'm married, sometimes Sarah and I get in arguments. And I feel like whenever I cave to my sinfulness in the middle of an argument, I'm like, I think God wants to be back with me once I apologize. Like once I kinda get my head screwed back on straight and I cool down, then I'll pray to God and be like, God, show, teach me how like, to seek out forgiveness and, and then go with it. But in that moment when my ears are still smoking, I don't think God wants to be with me in that moment. I've gotta like, figure something out first. Um, and I know I just read all this scripture and spent a lot of time on I think more often though, I just don't acknowledge it. Well, let me ask you this. This past Tuesday at 2.34 p.m., were you like, man, God, I know you want to be with me right now. I don't know what you were doing. Maybe you were sitting in class. Maybe you were typing out an email. Maybe you were driving from job site to job site. Maybe you're unloading groceries. Maybe you're teaching a seven-year-old the days of the week. I don't understand small education in the school realm. Is it seven? Would you teach them days of the weeks, or is that like just kindergarten, like five? It's like preschool. Okay, maybe you're helping them preschool. Like, I don't know what you were doing, but were you like, God, you're with me right now? Anybody like vividly remember like 2.34 p.m. last Tuesday? I know I didn't. I go through my whole work day and it's like, I know in my mind, right, that God said like, you know, you don't walk through the sh- valley of shadow death. You don't have to fear anything. I'm with you, but I'm not like acknowledging that he's with me. I'm not tuning into that. And I think that's kind of even worse than what we've just talked about for myself, right? Like at least then I'm acknowledging that God wants to be there, but I'm not comfortable in letting him. But sometimes I'm like, I don't think God cares about the mundane. Like I'm, I'm, just, I'm just loading the dishwasher. Does that really matter? Like God is currently right now making sure the earth stays on its perfect tilt, rotating around the sun at just the right speed so that the oxygen doesn't get stripped into the nethers of the universe. I think he's got more things to be worried about than while I'm loading the dishes having a conversation with me. Can can anybody relate? Can anybody show me some hands or am I, is that just me? Okay, good, this is helpful then. If it was just me, then like, let's just get back up and sing and I'll go preach to myself in the closet real quick. Like, cause that's, that's but I, I, I assumed that we would all fall into that. Like, that we just don't recognize God's desire to be with us. So you may be thinking like, okay, Stephen, like, Heck, look, what are you getting to? Like, where are we moving with this? I've been spending a lot of time, like, reading this whole passage where it it, it seems as if it's like, yeah, you you, you kind of are separated from God. Unless you're one of the two, which I use my phone. It's not impressive math. 0.0002% of people, like, get that sort of access. But we're going through a series of trust right now, like, a, a a teaching series. First we did, we talked about it. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. It's like a tree planted by a stream. Even when the drought comes and when hardship comes, it's still nourished by the stream. Two weeks ago, uh, we talked about how to trust God and love one another. And then last week, to trust God and don't be anxious. So this week, as I said at the beginning, and I gave you the spoiler alert, sometimes we just need to trust God and be with him. We just need to trust God and be with him. If y'all can, bear with me. In order to to best understand this, we have to look at the overarching story in scripture. So, like I said, I love speaking with students. I love interaction. So I'm gonna ask a series of questions here. Don't raise your hand. If you know the answer, shout it out. Okay, in Genesis 2, the beginning, does anybody know the two specific plants that are named? they are given a name? Anybody? What if I help you out? Any two specific trees that are given a name? The tree of life is one of them. What's the other one? Knowledge and good and evil. Awesome. Were these trees both good for food? No? Does the room agree? No, 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 that's fine. That's, no, hey, no, I'm just trying to, were, the, were both trees good for food? Yes. See, I thought no too, honestly. But whenever we see, if we go back to Genesis 2 and some may be like, wait, hold on, God made a commandment. He did, we'll get there in a second. But if we go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, it says, uh, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant for sight and good for food. The tree of life was there and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there. But there's something specific in verses 16 and 17, and I'm not gonna spend a ton of time because maybe mo- a lot of us are really familiar, but in this, God commands them saying, you cannot eat, you can eat of every tree you want. They're all good for food, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve, they may have been older, but they were babies. They were just created and, and, and God was saying like, you, you cannot eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because if you do, you'll die. That was his warning. So we all know the story, maybe. They do. Anyway, they eat of the tree, right? And they sinned against God. So what does sin do for all people? Any ideas? That's what I'm talking about. Yes, somebody give that girl round of applause. That's what I'm talking about. It separates you from God. That's a great answer. That's literally word for word what is on my iPod, iPad. Sin separates us from God separates an imperfect human from a perfect God. So for Adam and Eve then they each had punishments that were separate of each other. What was the same punishment they shared? Punishment they shared. Thrown out of the garden, exiled from the garden. Exactly. Uh, that is in verse chapter 3. Flip forward a bit because they have some conversation and they're talking and all the things happen. But verse 23 we have, therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Does anybody know the one-sided reason for why they were kicked out of the garden? Exactly. That's, the, that's it. I was hoping someone would say something different at first, but thanks for being smart. The sided. I always thought it was like, and we've heard this, right? God can't be in the presence of sinners. So I was like, oh, that's why I kicked them out of the garden is because they're imperfect. But that's, that's actually not the case. Was God ever with them in the garden after they sinned? Yeah, he hung out for a bit. He showed up, they sinned, and he was still standing there with them. And then he does a few things. I mean, while he's there with them, he sacrifices an animal and makes clothes for them. And then uh, he stayed around to reprimand them. God didn't enter the garden, feel the presence of their sin and bolt. as like, I can't do it. No, as he enters the garden, he goes, guys, what's going on? Like, oh, we're we're naked. Okay, here's some clothes. I know what you've done. Tell me. Tell me. Ah, you did. Okay. Here's your punishment for your sin. This is what you've caused yourself into. And then he removes him from the garden. I always thought that God couldn't be in the presence of sin, so that's why they got kicked from the garden. But in Genesis uh, 2, we see God went in and out of the garden all the time. That's, whenever he left the garden, that's when they end up talking to the serpent and they sinned is because he, he had left the garden, right? So God could have walked into the garden, saw they sinned and be like, guys, now I can't be in the garden with you. I've got to leave. And they could have stayed in the garden. But it was because of what? Tree of, life. Tree of life. See, Genesis 2 starts out with a story of God wanting to be with his creation. If you come to Austin Life, you've seen Corey draw the triangle a million times. You had the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was loving the Father, and the Father was loving the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity was fully fulfilled within that, but they wanted to share it. God wanted to be with creation in that, so he joins in and he's in creation with us, and and he's present. And then we sin, but what did he still want to do? He still wanted to be with us. So he sacrificed the animal and he clothed them and he reprimanded them face to face for their sins. And what would have happened if they lived in the garden? What could they have done? After they sinned, what could they have done? Could have eaten from the tree of life. Guess what they're gonna do? Live forever what? Separate. Sinners separated from God. But God didn't want that. God wanted to be with his people. And then from then on, we get the story uh, of, of the of totality of scripture. And we actually talked about this last week in our students at 9 a.m. We watched a video um, about the law. And we see here, law, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy in your Bible is a story of constant disobedience to God. Let's simply put what it is. Moses is given the 10 commandments here and while he's getting them, they're sinning. So God gives some more rules to help clarify like, hey, I want you to be holy. I wanna be with you. Here's some rules that'll help you be holy. And then they don't do them. So God keeps trying to clarify. And he gives them more rules. Hey, here's to help you be holy. I want to be with you. And they kept falling and falling. And 613 laws later, they still haven't done it. They still are falling short. So then uh, the prophets, the next section of the Old Testament, is where the story begins to point to a better solution. And the Lord speaks to people and tells them, that this better solution is gonna come and that God will come and he will save his people. It won't be up to them anymore. God is gonna take control of this situation. And then we get to the New Testament, the apex or climax of the story. I guess you would probably say the crucifixion and resurrection is that, but I'm gonna say right smack dab in the middle. We've got a really long apex to this story if you're an English person. But we have, we have um, the gospel, and the New Testament. We read in Romans 5, Verses 1 through 4 or 5 earlier. Um, I want to read the second part of that. It's, it's a perfect depiction of, of the gospel. Verse 6 For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. No one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while I feel like I should fit in that million people on the outside, God came to be with us and died for us. Verse nine, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's a story of the gospel right there, condensed in just a few verses. Our sinfulness, as we saw in the book of the law, is no longer separating us from God because we have been reconciled through Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about those 613 rules anymore. And what we were talking about in students, what was so beautiful that our lesson showed us, is that the reason we couldn't follow those laws is because our hearts were hardened. We were turned away from God. God recognized that with our hard hearts we could never follow his laws and his commands. So Jesus came so that he could ascend and the Holy Spirit could come and live within us and soften our hearts so that with joy we follow the commandments not because of the rules to live to be holy but because we've been made holy and we celebrate and live excited in his holiness. That's the story of the whole Bible. When we get the Holy Spirit, God is with us 100% of the time. For the Israelites, it was when he decided to show up on a mountain or whenever he was leading them by a pillar of smoke by day or fire by night, God was there, but he was always kind of a little separate. But the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. God is with us. And in Matthew 27, verse 51, at the end, whenever Jesus dies, it says that the curtain in the temple, which separated people from God, God was here, the people were here, was torn. Signifying that God is forever with us. We don't have to be consecrated or made holy in our actions to be one of the people up on the mountain. God said, no, I made that available for you. We started in Genesis 2 and 3 where God had to separate us from the tree of life. He didn't want us to live forever because he wanted to be with us. I want to end our scripture time here. Scripture time was a weird thing to say, like hammer time. Uh, we're going to end here with Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. If you've ever attended a funeral, you've probably heard this spoken before. Um, but I think it's so much better, even just to comfort us in the passing of a loved one. It's to comfort us now. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. This is a vision. Of what God is going to do for us. He was with us in the garden. When we sinned, he had a constant story right here of doing everything he could to be with us again. And then this is the culmination of all of this work of scripture of what God has done for us. And then I saw in verse one, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And also, he said, write this down, because these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give from the spring of the water of life. Without payment, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my child. I know all these things in my head. They're there. So we come to the end and maybe this makes me a bad pastor. I don't have an answer, but why then when I go throughout my day, whether it's because of my sin or because I just don't think about it, do I not like get it that God wants to be with me? Like when you leave here and you drive to meet up with friends for lunch or drive to go home and put a hot pocket in the microwave, God wants to be there while you're putting that hot pot in the microwave. God wants, like, desires to be with you in that moment. It's here. Why is it not here? I don't know for me. I know it's here for some people. For Paul, it was there. You saw him. He was in prison and he writes churches like, Hey, sorry, I can't come meet you. I'm in prison. Last time I was in prison, we were singing and there was an earthquake and the doors opened. That hadn't happened yet this time, but I'm still pretty happy. I'm still singing. I still, I still love it. God's with me. He got it. I know some of you in here are, probably have got it. I think it's possible. I know it's possible. I know I haven't. And I know some of you said, yeah, I don't really think about it. So now that we, for sure, if we heard it, we all know it, we get, okay, that's what God wants. I don't have the answer. I don't have the key to be like, oh, if you do this thing, here you go. You'll understand that he wants to be with you. You know, we were we were talking when we were hanging out yesterday, not just uh, about, you know, what's for dinner and that weird inside joke. But I think Mark was like, hey, do you ever get like nervous before you preach? And I used to, guys. This was like riding a roller coaster. Like anybody just like love roller coasters? I'm a big fan. And the reason I like them is because you get on and then they lock in place and you're like, oh, this is a mistake. Like, I, I have made poor decision-making. I should not be on this thing, right? And and that's how like public speaking is for me. Whether it was whenever I was in school or as I began to like teach different youth ministries and stuff, it was like a roller coaster. Like the person singing would pray, and I'd be like, "Oh, I made a mistake," and I would use that like excited energy right to the same way you get to the roller coaster and you're like, you just scream to let that exciting energy out. Like I would use that energy to get me through. But Mark asked yesterday, and I told him a question, I, or I told him an answer. And as I thought about it with this sermon of mine, I think I realized too is like, whenever the uh, the answer I gave him was like, when I preach to you guys, like I don't care about y'all, I don't get nervous. That's not the truth. When I preach normally, it's like I, I, I like I don't really get nervous anymore, unless someone's paying me to preach at their camp. And it's because I think I have an answer for that too. If you heard that, and you're like, oh, that's weird. Whatever, I guess. Whenever I'm preaching, like I'm trusting and knowing that God is lays something on my heart that I have been diligent to seeking out the truth in his word and I'm not worried about it. I can fumble up here like an idiot as long as I say true to the word, that's, that's it, you know? But there's something about like having to please man and like whenever some youth minister is like, hey, here's X amount of dollars, in my head it's like, oh, they're expecting X amount of salvation. So now I'm nervous for like performing on some like man-centric level but in reality it's like if I'm true to this, that's all that matters. And that's why right now, I don't feel bad for, not, for telling you I don't have an answer because I don't. But the truth of God's word that I think we have to trust and band, you can come up. I, I think I'm done. My notes stopped, but I knew I wouldn't stop because I just, I, the truth in God's word is to trust from beginning to end. The whole thing is God saying, hey, I want to be with you. As people sin, he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm giving you laws because I want to be with you. Okay, you can't follow the laws, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna be with you because I want to be with you and then I'm gonna go to heaven but I'm gonna come back down through the Holy Spirit and live within you because I want to be with you and then even then when I make the world new, I'm gonna be with you, I'm gonna be with you God because I want to be with you. This entire thing is God saying, I want to be with you. So if you're like me and you don't live that way, that's what this whole series about is Trust. So my encouragement to you is to trust that God wants to be with you. I don't have a next step. I don't know necessarily what that means when you walk out from here. I know one thing I tried that I think someone told me is they are like, hey, when you pray, pull up a seat for God. I was like, oh, that's a good thing. So now I'll do that. If I'm like in a like coffee shop working or I'm somewhere where there's a chair, like I literally say, I like, I, I've been, had a meeting with someone. I was like, hold on, wait real quick before I pray for you. And they're like, What are you, you said you're gonna pray for me. You don't care. Get a chair and drag it up. And I'm like, I have a hard time, even when I'm praying, remembering that God is here with me. So I'm gonna give him a seat to remind myself. Maybe you just need to give yourself a reminder, set sticky notes on your window. I don't know what it is. But my encouragement to you is to trust this whole story is about God wanting to be with you. Trust that that's true. And lean into that. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.